Well, during Advent, we are thinking about two stories, the, the story of Ruth and, and the story of Christmas. The, the drama of Ruth and the drama of the incarnation. And you're probably thinking, now, how, how are those, how, remind me again, how are those stories connected? Well, the drama of Ruth ends with the genealogy. And the Christmas story in Matthew, it begins with the genealogy. The drama of Ruth is set in the family of David. And the Christmas story also involves the family of David. The drama of Ruth includes the genealogy of David. And the genealogy of the Christmas story in Matthew includes Ruth. The drama of Ruth includes the genealogy of David. And the Christmas story starts the genealogy of the greater David. And the drama of Ruth takes place in Bethlehem, and the Christmas story takes place in Bethlehem. The drama of Ruth is the story of God exalting a poor, powerless, desperate young woman who faithfully follows God. And the Christmas story, it's also about a young woman who is poor and powerless and finds herself in great difficulty, but she also faithfully follows God. So the drama of Ruth includes an older man who protects and provides for a vulnerable young woman. And the Christmas story also includes a man who protects a vulnerable young woman. The drama of Ruth, it pictures intimate fellowship, communion between God and man. The Jews all through history have seen the bread and the wine that Ruth and Boaz shared as a picture of the Passover meal. Remember Ruth chapter 2 and verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in this wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and they passed the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Jewish people have seen that as a picture of Passover. Christian believers sharing bread and wine immediately reminds us of the bread and wine that were represented Christ and, and his shed blood and broken body in the Lord's Supper. But the heart of the drama of Ruth is the kinsman redeemer. And the Christmas story we cherish is all about our dear kinsman and our blessed redeemer. The drama of Ruth and the Christmas story are both stories of love and of redemption. And so our hands tremble and our heartbeat quickens and our eyes pool with tears when we take up and read the next act in the Ruth drama, Ruth in chapter 3. And so we're now in the third act, and we have three scenes, if you will, in the third act of this beautiful drama of Ruth. Let's look at them. We'll read the first one is verses 1 through 5. This is Ruth and chapter uh, 3. And verses 1 through 5, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, 
I will do. Well, now the plot is thickening indeed, isn't it? It's an interesting story with obviously some mystery in it. Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, Daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? You have two widows here. They've made a covenant with one another. Naomi says she wants rest for Ruth. She wants what's best is what she's talking about. This echoes earlier language. She wants the blessing of the Lord on Ruth. She wants favor. She wants the blessing of God on her life. One of our members was sitting here today with one of their grandchildren on her lap. If you ever had that experience, you know how it feels to long for the blessing of God on somebody you love. God, I want your best for this child. I want your blessing on this child. I want them to know you. I want them to love you. I want them to follow you. God, will you, will you watch out for them? Will you provide for them? This is what was in Naomi's heart. For Ruth, she wants, this is what, she, what the scriptures say when the story says she wants rest for Ruth. Here are these two widows in covenant with each other. Does it mean that in having God's favor that she would be delivered from all hardship? No, nothing in the Bible ever indicates that. People who teach that are, are leaving big chunks out of the Bible. They're, they're not really teaching it carefully. The blessing of the Lord can be upon someone who's enduring great hardship and suffering. When Jesus died was the blessing of the Lord. Yes, he bore the curse and yet at the same time had the favor of God on him, the blessing of the Lord. Were the apostles blessed of God? Yes, they were. But did they have hardship to endure? Yes, they did. So don't think when we say the blessing of the Lord, it means that you just have unbroken ease and no difficulties to go through. It, is, uh, it, it has to do with where you are with the Lord and what he's doing with the things in your life. The, the blessing of the Lord may be on someone who's dying or suffering, but they're right in right standing with the Lord, and they are trusting God for his reward and help. And this is the main business of this. They, they're trusting God for his reward and help and looking to him for ultimate fellowship forever. Now, Ruth and Naomi have, have bound themselves together in a vow, in a covenant relationship. So Naomi says, isn't it only right that I should care for you? She asks these a couple of kind of leading rhetorical questions. And Naomi knows Ruth is devoted to her and cares for her. The word rest there in chapter 3 and verse 1 ties Naomi's plans to her prayer in, in chapter 1 and verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lift up their voices and wept. You remember that story, weeping on the road from Moab to Bethlehem. And Naomi asked the innocent question, and she uses a kind of blessed um, indirection. Uh, she's, uh, Naomi is... is uh, influencing Ruth. She's not making demands on her, but she's graciously and powerfully influencing her here. There, there's a thought here that you have to think before, before you go on uh, in this cherished book and story for God's people that God has placed here, that there, there should be among, you know, God's people a special care for people who are weak or poor, especially those who are widows. And uh, it's, it's easy to neglect the widows. Uh, the New Testament teaches us 
And so it's good that we gather. We have teams that work on this in our church. And they, and they try to help people that are going through difficulty. They're alone or they're single again or they're widowed or widowers or they, or they have some physical need or impairment in their life. And that, ne- that, it, that kind of never stops. And it, it, it tests the metal of our Christianity, doesn't it? It's, I find it easy to say things and harder to do things when it comes to people who have needs. We, we, we have to notice that right at the beginning of this story are a couple of widows, and God wants us to consider their story. And he also wants us to remember that we should take seriously the promises that we make to each other. God is witness of the covenants, the promises that we make to each other, the things that we say. Often think about the marriage covenant, you know, the promises that we make. Imagine a man in his youth standing in front of witnesses and vowing that he will cherish a woman for the rest of his life. That's a serious, that's a serious thing. No, no man ought to do that, say that quickly without realizing he's going to need, need help from God for the rest of his life to really cherish another human being. Verse 2 says, is not Boaz our relative? This is uh, Naomi's another leading and rhetorical question. Isn't Boaz our relative, whose young woman you're with? And then she, she also uh, has an innocent observation in verse 2. Isn't he winnowing barley? He's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Hmm. This is like, you probably want to, it's helpful to think fiddler on the roof here. And matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Yeah, thank you, B. B and I are so going to duet right now. Like, find me a fun, catch me. Can you harmonize with me there? And yeah, man, isn't that great? You, you got, can't you see, can't you see Naomi? Kind of going, Boaz, he's a good man. You should get to know Boaz. Um, he's not the handsomest guy out there, but he's put together. Well, he's a little bit older, but he certainly conducts his affairs well. I'm reading into the text, of course. Verse 3, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Uh, put on your cloak. Go down to the f- threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Naomi is smart, isn't she? She says, when, you know, wait until he's done with his work. And, he, you know, and you know, if you're from farm people, you know what harvest time is like. It's a, it's a time where you have persons, you have a sense of well-being, you're gathering in God's blessing, and then there's that threshing floor, and now he's had some food to eat, his blood sugar's up and had something to drink. He's, he's happy, he's a, he's a good man, he's a worthy man. This is, the scriptures aren't saying he's drunk. Christians aren't, scriptures aren't teaching that. They'd be inconsistent with the way the story goes. Or the, they're describing Boaz. But she's saying, you know, have that feeling of well-being when you've had a wonderful meal and, and things are good and you, you push back from the table and, and you, she says, that's the time. <laughs> that's the time. Wait for that time. I, I was uh, pastoring in central Ohio and had, Lois and I were going through some old cookbooks this week. Um, Lois has boxes of cookbooks. And... Um, we were going through a box of cookbooks, old cookbooks, and, we, we, and she says, look at this one. And she had turned it to the page where Dorothy Hall's name was. Like, Dorothy Hall, remember her? 
my goodness, Dorothy would bring us meals to our home. She couldn't even walk. She'd come, you know, she'd come to our home on Wednesday night when we had a busy day and bring us a meal, carry it up, to get, have the kids help her, and then carry it up through the yard and give us this meal. She'd been with the Lord for a while now. Dorothy, I was visiting Dorothy on her farm one day, and she had a husband and boys that were farmhands, and she said, I noticed things just always been a lot, went a lot better when everybody was well-fed. Wise older women, they know this, and, and Naomi says to, to Ruth, make sure that he's, he's eaten, and, and, and then he, she says, look your best, smell your best, dress your best, go where he is, wait until just the right time. In verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet, lie down, he will tell you what to do. She goes, be careful whose feet you uncover, you know, make sure you watch where he laid down, you uncover the wrong guy's feet, this story's not going to go well. Again, I, I got to quit reading into the text here. Uh, verse 5, she replies, all that you say I will do. That's a beautiful understatement. It's echoed in Mary's words. Okay, I'll do what you say. And she humbly, this is kind of bold. She's, she's going to ask her to do something that would not be really easy to do. She says, I'll do this. I'll do what you say. And then Ruth takes this holy initiative that we we're talking about. All, all you said I will do. Now the curtain falls on Act 3 and Scene 1 and rises on Scene 2. This is a longer scene between, this first scene was Ruth and Naomi, and the second scene is the one where things get really interesting between Ruth and Boaz in the middle of the night. And so we have in verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. She trusted and she obeyed. She trusted and she obeyed. Verse 7, Boaz had eaten and drunk. His heart was merry. He went to lie down at the heap of grain. And this is so beautiful. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So he's feeling, he has a feeling of well-being. She comes in gently, softly, quietly, discreetly. She uncovers his feet. She lies down at his feet. According to ancient custom, this was an equivalent of letting him know. Ruth is, Naomi is basically saying, Ruth, it's time that you stop dressing like a widow and started dressing like you're ready to kind of move on with your life now. And so Ruth does this. She goes down, and then she, and, and according to custom, there's a little veiled, there's a little mysterious to us, but it's obviously that according to custom, she's making herself available then for marriage. It was, uh, it was the equivalent of a marriage proposal. It gets that way in a moment, and it was appropriate and chaste. At midnight, the man is startled. He turns over. You know how you would feel if your feet were uncovered. Usually I just say, hey, honey, can you cover my feet back up? And then she takes care of me. No, that's not true. I'm just making that up. Um, so, so here, uh, his feet are uncovered. He wakes up at midnight. The man startled. He turns over, and behold, a woman is at his feet. Surprise! This is a blessed surprise. He says, "Who are you?" He's whispering to this strange woman laying at his feet in the night. Am I dreaming? Is this a good dream or a bad dream? You know, I'm Ruth, your servant. She says in a tender way. Use a tender word for servant an intimate servant. Spread your wings over your servant. You are a redeemer. This is all weighted, freighted language that she's using, meaningful language that she's using. She's using his language. When earlier on, when they met and he said, 
You know, he said to her, may, God, may you be under the covering of God's wings. He, she says, take me under your wing. She, you, she appeals to him using language that he used. I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. You are a redeemer. This is, a, this is where she kind of goes off script. And she is proposing marriage. It's interesting. When I studied this, I, I just made these observations. Naomi did not tell her to do that. Naomi said, Boaz will take over right here. You do this much, Boaz will take over. But that's not what she does. She goes off script a bit. So she does everything that Naomi says. And, and then may I, my guess, my, my uh, uh, sanctified imagination, you know, human beings communicate a lot when they're with one another that's wordless. And I think she knows she kind of has the green light. That's my theory. But um, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Then she says, spread your wings over your servant, your redeemer. She's essentially telling him, you are my protector. You, can, you, purchase, you buy me. You marry me. And, and if there's a sweet spot in this text, there's, there are a bunch of them. This is one of them. Under his wings, he's and, and the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. That was in chapter 2 and verse 12. That's how he, he blessed her. And it ties it to this request. He said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. You are my redeemer. And verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, and you have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after young men whether poor or rich. So Boaz, is he happy about this or is he unhappy? This is, that, was an, that was an easy, that was a softball. Let's do it again. You think Boaz was sad or happy? There's that better. Yeah, obviously he's not going. Do you think he's eager? Like, actually, I think he actually already done his homework because when he answers her questions, it's like, oh, he's thought of, he had already thought about this. My, my daughter, one of my daughters, whose name is Holly, was older before she got married. Not old, old, but older than she wanted to be. And, and we prayed together. Sometimes I go in a room and we sit on her bed. She'd talk and talk with her mom a lot, many hours, talk with me a little bit too. And I'd sit on her bed and we would talk and she would pr pray. And she would mind me telling you, she would pray and cry sometimes and she'd have a disappointment in her room. I was like, yeah, or some guy would come and I'd be like, throw him back. He was a small fish throw him back, throw him back too. Uh, and then, and it's a big long story, but at one point we, we stumbled on somebody there and I said, you should probably let him know that you want to be friends on Facebook. He says, y'all are being so quiet. I said, you should probably let him know you want to be friends on Facebook. She goes, I don't friend, I don't friend guys on Facebook. I said, Holly, I would like to use your room as an office. <laughs> Sometime soon, you know, she laughed. It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. And then we went to church. And then after church, she was sitting in the pew over here to the right. And I walked past her and I said, did you friend him? And she says, no, but we're friends. And I'm like, how'd that happen? She goes, I sent him a private message and said, I don't friend guys, but you should friend me. I'm like, okay, that works. That works. They're married. They have two kids. They live in Oregon. That was a blessed relationship. She took a little initiative. She, 
she had my encouragement to take initiative. She took a little initiative. I know you ladies probably didn't do that at all. You didn't drop your hanky. I understand. It was all on him. I get that. I know that. I know, Lois, when you lost your headband, you didn't see me over there. You weren't luring me over there. You didn't know, even know I was over there. Completely didn't know it. But Ruth, she actually did make herself available. And she was given direction. And she went and she took a holy initiative. And he says, and I, I said to Jesse, this is, the, this is my daughter Holly's husband, Jesse. I said to him once, we're having a really neat conversation. He's a precious guy. And I said to him, Jesse, how did you feel when you got that note from Holly that she wanted to be your friend? He said, I got down on my knees and I thanked God and I felt like I won a million dollars. I'm like, that's the right thing to say to a father-in-law. Like, moved to the head. I just felt like I won a million dollars. When I read this text, I, I imagine that Boaz is like, oh, more than I had hoped for. Anyway, verse 10, may you, may, may you be blessed to the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. He saw her proposal as a kindness to him and her kindness to Naomi uh, as well er, earlier. So this is even, and you could have gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You could have had anyone you, you wanted. It's kind of the idea. You, you could have married a young man, but you've been kind to me like you were kind to Naomi. In verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you what you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This is what they called him. When he first showed up, Boaz was a worthy man. And now, do you know in the, in, in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth comes right after Proverbs, and a lot of people think it's tied together, that when Proverbs ends and it has this picture of this worthy woman, it's like, and kind of like this gal right here in the Hebrew Bible. It's very interesting. Now, you know I'm going to be kind to you. Everyone knows you're a good woman. She had a good testimony. Verse 12, and now... It is true that I'm a redeemer. And yet he says, and this is why I think he had done his homework. He immediately says, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. And I'm kind of like, oh, you were thinking about this, weren't you? I think he was. I think that, that Boaz might have had that in mind, but maybe he was waiting until it was an appropriate time, or maybe he was waiting until he got, you know, until he got a sign from her that it would be appropriate to do that, that the timing was right, or that, that she was willing. Boaz knows he's a kinsman or near kinsman, and that he also knows there's one near. And you understand how this Redeemer thing works. You've been taught this, I'm sure, that in the, in the law at the time, that if a family who was going to lose their things, a near family member could come and could purchase their property and, and also protect them. But actually, there's, a, there's even a marriage right where they would come in and make sure that there was provision. There's a lot of detail about this we won't go into right now, but a provision for a widow. That's pretty interesting stuff. This is something that Boaz understands, and he also knows that there's somebody that's in line ahead of him. So Boaz can buy the property. He can, that, that, that's, that's uh, taken away from the family. He can bring Naomi under his care, but he would be bringing Ruth under his care and marrying her. But he says, but there's somebody in line that has the right ahead of me. He says that he knows that. So he says, remain, verse 13, remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. This is a pretty serious language. Lie down until morning. And he promises to see to it that she is redeemed. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another and said, let it not be known to the woman that you came to the threshing floor, that the women came to the threshing floor. She doesn't want 
uh, she does what he suggests and discreetly leaves, and he wants her to be discreet. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. And she held it out, and this is a key part in the literary theme. He gives her a gift of of grain. She measured out six measures of barley and put on her. Let's just say this was a lot, a lot. And then she went to the city. She leaves with an abundant token of his intentions. And now the second scene of the third act comes to an end. And Ruth leaves laden down with bounty, with reward. Here, in case you missed it, she was faithful and she was trusting And she did things that showed that she was exhibiting her faith. God rewarded her. He used, providentially, he uses Boaz. And she comes home laden with evidence that her proposal was successful uh, or was was bound to be successful. And now we go to the third act of of the third scene. And we're back with Naomi and Ruth in the final verses, 16 through 18. And this is kind of sweet. So the ladies are kind of plotting together, holy plotting. And, and then she goes off and I, what, you know, there's nothing in the text about it, but we're not with Naomi. What's Naomi doing? What's Naomi thinking? I don't know, but I have a, I have a sanctified guess that she was praying, wouldn't you? God, please, please don't let Boaz be dense here. God, Please let Boaz get the message. God, please be with Ruth. Bless her. She's a good girl, Lord. I know she's a, I know she was a Satan worshiper. <laughs> I know she was a Moabite. I know what you know, but God, she's seeking you. She's trusting Yahweh. I know, you, I know you'll be faithful to her, God. I, I'm imagining this is Naomi's way. Verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all the men had done to her. This is interesting. She's discreet with the other women. She doesn't show them and tell them everything. But she tells everything to Naomi. It's a good idea to be careful who you tell stuff to. And if you're, young, if you're a young lady, if you're a young man, and you have like romance going on, there should be somebody honorable, somebody trustworthy that you can tell everything to. That's a good, safe idea. If you're a young lady, you should tell a faithful mom everything. Ever should be. No surprises. Just tell her. This is, what, this is a picture that we have of a godly young woman who comes and she has a mother-in-law and she's just telling her everything that happened that night, uh, that dark night when they were whispering on the threshing floor and the feet were uncovered and there was that little conversation and Ruth tells Naomi everything that happened that night on that dark night in that whispered conversation. And it's obviously that she's blessed here. Verse 16, six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This is also freighted language that's borrowed from earlier in the story. They went away empty. But now their hands are full. Evidence of God's providential blessing. (sighs) So beautiful. Now, and then saying these six measures of barley he gave me this is verse 17 he said to me you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law this is a staggering amount and verse 18 she replies wait my daughter wait wait that's what advent's about faithful waiting wait my daughter 
until you learn how the matter turns out. And then she says, like a wise older woman, the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. I'm reading in, but I can imagine Ruth going, I I think the way it's going to work is he said he'd get up and take care of it. And you know how I I have a wife, I have four daughters. And and I, every one of my daughters, I'm going to tell you a little secret about the girls and probably get a little trouble for this one. Every one of them, I knew the guy had the ring and was plotting to drop the ring and all that. I knew it and they didn't know it. And they would come to me in my chair and they would say, do you think he is ever going to ask me? I'm like, I think he is. I think he is. I'm like, like, I can't believe you can't see that. You know, when you're old like me and you're like an old fossil, you've been around the horn, you see stuff. Old women more, older women more. They're like, he's going to do that, Ruth. Don't you worry. Maybe Ruth wasn't worried about it. But it's clear that Naomi says he's going to do that. And then what happens in the story? The curtain comes down. We don't know. That's that's interesting. Uh, It's like there's a complication there. Oh, there's somebody in line ahead. What's that guy going to do? Is he going to follow through? Is that guy going to step in and pick me off before I get to marry Boaz? What's going to happen? Well, wait, you will see. Naomi says he will act quickly. Do you mind if I take a little rabbit trail right now? If you don't mind, just stay where you are. Okay, then good. All right, so let me, let me take a little romance rabbit trail. If you're a young man or young lady, you're single or single again, you really want to hear what I'm going to tell you right now. There, um, this, there's some things from this story. She is, obviously, Boaz and Ruth are being lifted up as exemplary. And this is an exemplary, there, there's, this is an exemplary romance. Let me tell you some quick things. First, attractiveness has a place, but it's not the ultimate place. Ruth's attractiveness is never referenced in this book. We don't know what she looks like. It, only, it doesn't say. Her character is mentioned over and over again, but her physical attractiveness is never mentioned. Um, attractiveness has a place in romance, but not the ultimate place. Beauty can be deceptive. Beauty can be empty. Beauty is temporary. That's what the Bible says. Beauty is vain. Remember that? Beauty can be deceptive. A person can look really handsome on the outside, be real creepy on the inside. A girl can look real pretty on the outside, be not so, not so pretty inside. It can be deceptive. It's t- and how many of you know that, those, that it, by observation in life, that beauty is also temporary. And so character is more important in the long run than beauty. God blesses those who seek the approval of their authorities. I used to tell, often do tell kids still, like when I'm speaking at camp, whatever, like, don't go into marriage until you ideally get six green lights. Your light should be green. Her light should be green. Her mom's light should be green. Her dad's light should be green. Your mom's light should be green. Your dad, that's ideal. Maybe that's always where, but it should be like, make sure that you marry in the faith, not just a person who says they're a Christian, but a person who has a clear testimony of devout belief in Jesus. They're not going to cook that up after you get it. That's unusual. They they either have it or they don't have it. You know, like Pastor Jordan, we're going to throw you under the bus again twice in the same Sunday, but like we're like courting Pastor Jordan. We want him to come be with us. We had a little romance going, that's creepy, isn't it? We want him to come be with us. Like we didn't go look for a guy who says, I will be what you want me to be, but I've never been that before. There is a corollary. I know it's probably creeping you out and poor Jordan too. 
But it's like, does anybody in his life say he does that stuff already? We got a record that he's that kind of a guy. Long before he came here, he didn't just come here and say, I'm going to start doing that when I get there. When you start paying me, I'll do that. That's not the way it is. No, you haven't. You see what I'm saying? So to get off poor Jordan and back on Pastor Jordan and get back on you young women, young men, and that is marry somebody who is a worthy person. And if you can't attract a worthy person, that should be telling you something. Work on being a worthy person until you will attract another person who is a worthy person. And we know that God is merciful and kind. Thank the Lord. He is merciful and kind. He's forgiving and patient. We know that. He's forgiving and patient and merciful. And all of us are a wreck beyond repair without Jesus. Okay, so just know that. But I'm just talking about ideally, these are things that you can learn from here. A godly courtship, there'd be a powerful sexual attraction, but it's kept pure and walk in the light. And you tend to attract in kind. Therefore, the most important thing is that you become who God wants you to be. When I said, boy, somebody said it this way, the flower of youth never appears more beautiful than when it bends toward the sun of righteousness. And if you will concentrate on being who God wants you to be, he will bring you who he wants you to have. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I want to encourage you, if you're a young person here, the most, one of the most important things in the world is that you marry a person who has a robust faith in God. And if you can't attract a person like that, it tells you that you need to deepen your roots in God. Concentrate on that first. Marry in the faith. Never consider marrying someone who's not a Christ follower, not a mere professor, Anyway, I probably made that true. Here, made that clear. Here are three things I always tell young people, and my little rabbit trail will be over. The roadmap to maximum romance has three different parts in it. These come from the Bible. The roadmap, M-A-P. You want these three things if you want maximum romance. Ministry first, 1 Corinthians and chapter 7 says that you concentrate on the Lord without distraction. The first thing a young person should do when they're single is serve the Lord. Go after God. Be in the service of the king. Run and see who's running along with you in the service of the Lord. You know, like meet somebody on the mission field or something like that. Um, that's, the, that's the idea that the youth group that's really serving God. But ministry first, that's the M. Then authority, that's the wait for six green lights. That's like... Ruth does this. She listens to her mother-in-law. She didn't have to listen to her mother-in-law, she, but she did listen to her mother-in-law. And that was really wise for her to do that. If you've got godly good people that are older in your life, and they're not really enthused about the person that you're with, you should be extremely careful. As a matter of fact, if you're really wise, you just walk up to your mom and your dad, who are hopefully believers, and say, I would never think of marrying somebody without your blessing. That's important to me. And then the importance of purity. God is the avenger the Bible says in First Thessalonians, God's the avenger of those who are fornicators. And so, is there hope for people who are sexual sinners? Yes, there is. Or there'd be no hope for any of us. Thanks, thanks, thank the Lord for his righteousness. For your pastor, for you, for me. That's true. Please don't misunderstand. But this story, this exemplary story, is a story of people that were pursuing God and purity in a culture that's just filthy, filthy culture that we're in. And so, young people, walk with the Lord. Be devoted to moral purity. This is a serious warning. No sexual sin can take you beyond the scope of God's mercy. No sexual failure can take you beyond the scope of God's restoration. He especially loves those who have gone off and, and who found that the 
food in the hog pen is bitter tasting. He waits on the porch for us to return in the person of the Father. His mercy and restoration are there. But if you sin in this way, there will be guilt and shame and remorse and bitterness and deep, prolonged consequences in your life that will, that will, that will trouble you. Now, let's get back to the story. Now, let's answer the question now. What does God want us to learn from this beautiful third uh, act in the drama? What does he want us to learn from this chapter? And here it is, baldly stated, God rewards those who trust him. Like even if they used to be Satan worshipers, even if they used to be pagans, God rewards those who trust him. It's what a what a, what, a, what a life that God rewards looks like. Let me show you five things before we go home. Five characteristics of a trusting heart that you see in the characters here, especially Ruth. And I'll give you them quickly, and then we'll go over them a bit. Uh, there, there's humility. There's holy initiative. There, there's, there's a clear statement of desires and intentions. There's kindness and love, a person characterized by love. And there's patience with details and complications. Let's go over those again. Think about it. This could be true about you. God, I want to I wanna be this person that you pour out your blessing and reward on. I want to live the kind of life that I have the rest in God, the blessing of God. I want the blessing of God on my marriage. I want the blessing of God on this church. I want the blessing of God on, the, on my sons and daughters, my grandsons and my granddaughters. There are almost 20 of them now. I want them to have the blessing of God. What does it look like? When it, well, in Ruth's life, first, number one, they, she, she had humility, and she consulted elders. So she, she wasn't self-willed, but she was, she was tenderhearted and listened to others. This was in our elders meeting yesterday, but it was the evidence in there, not the youngest guys in the church. Not all of our elders are young. Not the youngest guys in the church, but guys whose hearts were, were tender toward one another and toward God and, and willing to humble themselves. And God blesses that. And he blesses that in, in men and in women, in old and young. He blessed it in Ruth, her humility. And the second thing, um, she's willing to take holy initiative. She stepped out when it was right to step out. She didn't sin to do it. She didn't force it. But she took holy initiative when she had the green light. She did. There's a time, I, would, I used to tell my daughters, I will let you know when I think it's time for you to drop your hanky. You know, for you to make yourself, make that known. Um, there, there was a time, you know, when you say to a young man, I think it'd be good for you to step, step forward and take initiative. You've already been given commands to go into all the world, to, to love one another. Christians should say, okay, how does God want to do it? I'll just take holy initiative here. And you see this with Naomi and you see it with, with Ruth. And God blessed it. She took holy initiative. Third, she made her desires and intentions known in a pure and appropriate way. I believe she was attracted and interested, but she wasn't sinfully sensual, it, not sinfully taking things into her own hands, making her desires and intentions known in an appropriate, a straightforward way. She was sincere and without guile. This is something that we can take a, a, a lesson from. When you've been given a command by the Lord, then take holy initiative and be straightforward. And then fourth, be, be, be characterized by love. Boaz says this about you. Every time I hear people talking about you, they're talking about how kind you are. No comment about her measurements here. No comment about her complexion. No comment about her sensuality. They later had a baby, so there was some sexual attractiveness there. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was for next week. But 
that's what's going to happen next week. It's awesome. But anyway, there is sexual attractiveness there, but it's not emphasized. It's not, it's not overemphasized. What is emphasized is their, her kindness and her love and her kind speech and her discretion and her behavior. She doesn't tell who she shouldn't tell. She does tell everything to who she should tell everything to. And finally, she's patient when the details and the complications and the delays. He says, I promise, but there's a detail. Oh, there's a complicate. You ever hear that? It's complicated. Yeah, that's life. It's complicated. Even following God, it's complicated. Even following God, there will be details. Even following God, there will be delays. That's what Advent's about. It's coming, but it's not here yet. A lot of what we believe is coming, but it's not here yet. And so faithful people have to be faithful in the time between when they heard the promise and the promise is delivered. That's what Advent is about. It's a reminder that godly people wait faithfully for something they've been promised that they cannot yet see. This is what all the godly people in that beautiful Christmas story did. This is what Ruth did. This is what Boaz did. It's what Naomi did. When complications come, they trusted God. When delays come, they trusted God. When the details yet had to be worked out. What does it have to do with Advent? Well, we remember this faithful waiting. We have something wonderful that we're anticipating, but waiting requires faithfulness. It requires humility. It requires trust. It requires purity. It requires hope and confidence that God will have help there when we need it. And it requires holy initiative. And it requires patience with the complications. More on this next week in the exciting final conclusion, the last act of the Ruth drama. But we know that out beyond what we see is a story of hardship and hunger, but a promise of love and a promise of redemption and Christ, our kinsman and our blessed redeemer yet to come. And this leaves us with some unanswered questions. What will Boaz do? And what will become of Ruth and, and of Naomi? Will she ever have a, hold a grandchild? And who is that nearer kinsman? And how will this end? It's like, but there's more, but that will have to wait for another day. But there's a more important question, and that is, in what way has God asked you to be faithful? What is God expecting of you? But it's delayed, but it's complicated, and it's going to require the faithfulness of Ruth. How does God want you? Will you give him the pen, and will you let him write your story? Or will you cling to it yourself in self-will? How will your story read once it's written? Will your story be a story of trust and obedience? Will it be something that we'll want to tell other people about? Will your story be a story of love and redemption? Your story can be a story of love and redemption. Your story can be a story of trust and obey. Your story can be a beautiful story like the one we read. If you will trust the Lord and if you will obey. Would you stand with me? We have a little tradition that we started here. We like the people to come to Bethel and then go away with a blessing over them. And we asked Jerry Glazer to come today and to speak a blessing. This is very serious. We're asking God's blessing over you. And this one of the elders of our church. And so right now we want to bless you. If you have a need, you have a question, then you come forward afterward. Right now, Brother Jerry's going to bless you.